Well, as we begin our reading this morning in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35, he anticipates a question. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seeds its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. A few weeks ago in Club Jam, it was lesson time with the older group. When we brought up a certain subject, boy, all of a sudden their interest just peaked. And they had all these questions. The question that we were dealing with at Club Jam or the issue was uh, similar to something they were dealing with at school in one of their lessons. And so all of a sudden they had all these questions. Hey, we just learned about something about that in school. And they started having all these questions shooting up. Well, you know, uh, not just kids, but adults, we all have the same thing. There are certain issues that we just get a lot of questions come to our mind. And, you know, the resurrection is one of those issues. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with as he's teaching on the resurrection, preaching on the resurrection to the Corinthian church. And we've seen where he gave them the proof of the resurrection and all the witnesses, the eyewitness accounts. We've seen that there's meaning and there's reason involved in the resurrection. Well, now it kind of gets to this point right here and he just anticipates the question. Now, the question that he anticipates is one where they're actually probably using it to argue rather than using it to gain information. But at any rate, that's what we see the Apostle dealing with is, is this question. And he uses a few different tools. 
to kind of explain some things about the resurrection. What is the resurrection like? What are the questions that come to our mind when uh, dealing with this issue of the resurrection? So that's what we're considering this morning here is this resurrection explanation. Well, the first thing that we see him do as he gives this explanation is he uses a kind of a bunch of illustrations. And the illustrations that he uses come from creation. He's just kind of going to say, look, we see kind of examples of this idea of resurrection kind of as we look at life and we look at the creation that's around us. In verse 36, he says, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. And so he just starts to look at the process of what happens when a seed hits the ground and then it springs up into a plant. He's going to use also the planets and the, the suns and the stars and the, and the, and the moon. And, and he's going to say, see, they differ from one another in glory. And so there's, a, there's difference, but yet there's similarity. And then he's going to apply all of that to the resurrection. So he uses nature. And what are, what's the basic thing that we learn from nature as he uses this illustration? The first thing that we realize or that he points out that happens within nature is this uh, idea of, of decomposition. Unless that seed falls into the ground and dies. Jesus said the same thing. He said unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, then it produces a a plant that produces much fruit. The same illustration that the Apostle Paul is using here, and he says that seed falls to the ground and dies. It, It begins to break down. What is he comparing that to? The resurrection. What happens to us when we die? We, we begin to decompose. We get put in the ground and our body begins to break down and this decomposition takes place. And that's one of the questions that people have about the resurrection. Well, how is it going to be raised? The body's decomposing, right? It's turning back to the dust. And you know what? That doesn't catch God off guard. In fact, he said in the Bible and other places that we came from dust and to dust we return. When our body gets put down in there, it's going to decompose. How does it do it? What about, what about cremation? If you burn them up into ashes, then are they still able to be resurrected from the dead? Yeah, they can. I like Christian burial because it kind of shows you being in hopes of the resurrection, looking forward to the resurrection. And I think it's a better picture there. But at any rate, you know, you hear questions like, well, what if uh, somebody uh, dies in a fire and they get burnt up? Or what if somebody dies at sea and, and, and drowns and they never find the body and they get, you know, eaten by the fish and that kind of stuff? What happens? To the fish during the resurrection, not really. <laughs> but what, what happens? What happens to that person that's kind of spread out? What, what if I'm a donor? What if, my, what if I die and I donate my body to, to other people that might need the parts? What happens to them when the Lord comes back? And so there's lots of questions that, that kind of flood our mind with this thinking of this deal. Well, you know, decomposition is no big deal for God. In fact, he says that's what's going to happen. You're going to get planted and, and you're going to decompose just like that seed. But you know, look what happens with the seed. It hits the ground and it begins to disintegrate. It begins to decompose. And what comes up out of it? This plant. In chapter 15, verse 36, notice what he said. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And you know, none of this should be too big of a deal, right? I mean, it's an amazing thing, no doubt about it, but we have an amazing God. If God can create all this stuff by speaking it into existence, I don't think my body decomposing is going to be a real challenge for Him. I think He can handle it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, look, we see other things in nature that kind of resemble this. This shouldn't be a big shock to us that God is doing this. 
Well, not only do we see decomposition, but we see change. We see change take place. It says in verse 37, it says, "...and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain." So this seed falls into the ground and then it changes. Up comes this plant. It doesn't look like the seed anymore. It looks very different because there's a major change. You know, twice later on in the passage, he says, we shall be changed. We're not all going to sleep, meaning death, but we will all be changed. I remember one church hung that verse outside their nursery. They may not all sleep, but they will all be changed. <laughs> if we die and our body goes into the grave... There's obviously some changes that are going to need to take place for us to come out of that grave. And they're major changes. But you know what? Even if we live till Christ comes back, he says we may not all sleep. Even if we live all the way till Christ comes back, there's still some major change that has to take place. Our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are perishable. Our bodies are mortal. And they're going to have to take on immortality. They're going to have to become imperishable. Our weakness is going to have to be swallowed up by strength. In fact, when we get to verses 42 through 44, that's what he goes through. He highlights that. He says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Our bodies are going to have to go through this major change. Just like that plant, the seed drops in the ground, an amazingly different thing springs up out of the ground. The last point, let's get on to that first, and then I kind of want to highlight these differences a little bit. The last part of it is, is continuity. It's continuity. In other words, you plant a wheat seed, you're going to get wheat. Plant a barley seed, you're going to get barley. Even though it drastically changes into a plant from a seed, it's still wheat. That's the same thing in the resurrection. In the resurrection, we experience all these things. We die and our bodies begin to decompose. And then we are changed at the resurrection. We're changed. And the perishable becomes imperishable. The mortal becomes immortal. And so we see this dynamic change. But yet at the same time, there's a continuity. It's still me. It's still my body that was planted. You know what? The best place to look at this example, which he gives us just before this, is Jesus Christ. Remember earlier in the passage we looked at last week? It said Jesus is the first fruits of those risen from the dead. In other words, He's like the prototype. What He experienced is what we're going to experience. Now, there was some major change. Jesus was in the tomb for only three days, so His body didn't decompose too much. Then He comes alive from the dead. And there's change. How do we know there's change? We see some of it in reading the Gospels. The different accounts. The disciples are all locked in a room because they're afraid they're going to end up on the cross next because they were following Christ and He just got crucified because of who He is. And so they're scared and they're hiding in a room and the door is locked and the Bible says that Jesus just shows up there. Now obviously, that is a change. He didn't just show up in locked rooms before. He is in a body just like ours. Needs a door. Needs a window. He's able to just all of a sudden be places. Now, He also walks. He walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, but it looks like He can also just get places without walking. So, I don't know how all that works, but is that something like we're going to experience? Very possibly. I read a book years ago. I don't remember who the author was, but the book was called Beyond the Cosmos. And it was written by a nuclear physicist. And he wrote this book, and it was an interesting book. 
hard to get my mind around. It's above my level, but uh, it was an interesting book. Now, this guy said, mathematically, we can prove that there's at least 11 dimensions. Now, how many dimensions do we live? We live in four, right? Because we have length, width, depth, and time. And so he did recognize it's hard to grasp. He said, uh, I can't even explain it to you because I can't draw a picture because we only have 3D in our pictures. He says, I can't illustrate it because we live in four dimensions, so we, we can't grasp another dimension. It's hard for us to understand. He said, but he says, mathematically, we can prove there's at least 11. Believe it or don't, I don't care. But he said, you know, it's interesting because when you look in the Bible, he says, if you had one dimension, you can probably walk through a wall. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't even know if he knows how that works. But what is this resurrection body going to be like? Christ could appear in a locked room. Now, obviously, it took some intention because how you walk through a wall and not fall through the floor, right? So there's, there's some intentionality to it. There's, but there's some control. There's, but how does all that work? Boy, I don't know. And I don't have any desire to go any farther into it than that. I just don't know. But the point is, the Bible says there's going to be an amazing change. A change where what we experience now is weakness, it's going to be powerful. What we experience now is perishable, it's going to be imperishable. What we experience now is mortal, it's going to be immortal. But you know what, at the same time with Christ's experience, even though there was a, a definitely amazing change, there was also continuity. It was still His body. And He still bore the marks of the cross. And from the nails and from the spear. Remember when Thomas uh, comes to Christ. He wasn't there when Christ showed up at one time and the disciples told him about it when he got there and he's like, I, I won't believe it unless I can stick my fingers in the holes in his hands and stick my fist in his side. I won't believe it. And Jesus, when he showed up later, he says, okay, Thomas, go ahead. And Thomas falls on the floor and says, my Lord and my God. When Jesus first appeared to the disciples in that, in that room, it says as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. And so right at that moment, Jesus gives them three proofs and it goes on to say that he would give them more proofs than that. They can come up and touch him. He said, Give me something to eat. He ate in front of them. And so there's continuity. Uh, he also said, Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Uh, so they could see the places where the piercings were. In fact, even when Jesus comes back, the Bible says, speaking of Israel, they're going to look on Him whom they have pierced. So even when Christ comes back in the future, He's still going to have the marks in His hands and His feet and the hole in His side. And so it is His body resurrected from the dead, but changed, glorified. Just like the Apostle Paul, he's doing the same thing with these people here as he did with Agrippa back in Acts chapter 26. Remember when the Apostle Paul stood before King Agrippa and he's, he's on trial for preaching the gospel, which is Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says, look, it's because of the resurrection of the dead that I'm here. And he says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Look, if you recognize that there is this God, this all-powerful being that created the heavens and the earth and everything that is, that is within them, then why is it such a big deal? to believe in the resurrection. And he just begins by helping them to get an understanding, an explanation of 
what kind of things happen? Well, what happens is our body goes into the ground and it decomposes, begins to break down. But God will take and from that He will resurrect life. It will be changed, but yet still be your body. Well, then not only does He give us illustrations from nature, but then He goes on and He gives us lessons from our heritage. In verses 45-49, through 49, it says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As was the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I like the way that he phrases that in there. The man of the dust. Of course, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 1 where um, God creates man. And He takes and He forms man what out of the dust of the ground. We come from the dust. David would one time thank God that he says, you know what, you know my frame, that I'm, I'm, just, I'm but dust. In other words, the dust kind of uh, symbolizes not only the substance that God made us out of, but the, the weakness of that substance. We're of the dust and we return to the dust. And when we strive to live out our life here before God, we're just made of dust. So in other words, we're going to blow it from time to time. Now that's our experience. We're in the dust. We're in Adam. But he says, you know what? Once we put our faith in Christ, now we're no longer in Adam. Now we're in Christ. Just as Adam was of the substance of the earth, Christ is of the substance of heaven. And so when we put our faith in Christ, then all the things that are attributed with that idea of being from heaven get applied to us. With the dust, we have perishable. With heaven, we have imperishable. With the dust, we have weakness. With heaven, we have strength. And so, see, it's that thing is saying, look, we have our beginnings in Adam, but we don't need to stay there. We've been provided Christ. And in Christ, we get to experience this immortality. In Adam, we're mortal. In Christ, we're immortal. And so he, he, he gives us lessons kind of from our heritage. He says, look, we've been in the image of Adam. Now we need to be in the image of Christ. And then also he gives us lessons from our hope. Our heritage is our past, looking back on where we came from. Our hope is where we're going to and what we're looking forward to. Verses 50-57, through 57, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now in the Bible, mystery just means uh, usually it's something that was hidden before that is revealed now. And so he says, now I'm going to tell you this mystery. And that is what? We'll not all sleep, but we're all going to be changed. And he's talking about that resurrection that we experience from the dead, for in verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, when does that happen? Verse 51, I tell you this mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Because the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. He says it's going to happen at this trumpet, in a, in a moment. Twinkle, a twinkle of an eye. Your eye, your eye is like the fastest moving thing on your body. Uh, when I'm cutting something, I should, but I don't always wear safety glasses. When I'm cutting something at work with a skill saw or something like that, it is amazing to me how many things I don't get in my eye because my eye moves. I don't even know it's coming, but my eye sees it, detects it, and moves so fast that I, uh, that it avoids it. I get things in my eyelashes all the time. My eye, 
Not as often, thankfully. But your eye is so quickly moving. He says, in the twinkle of an eye, this is going to happen. It's going to be like right now. It's not going to be a slow process. In a moment, the word moment is the word that we get our word Adam from. What is an atom? It's like the smallest level of something that you can't divide it down. You can't get to anything smaller than that. It's the smallest thing known to man, right? And so he says, in that kind of a moment, that amount of time, that's how quick this is going to happen. He talks about this trumpet. The trumpet is heard of in other places in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just verses 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Romans talks about the change that takes place at that time. It talks of us being glorified. Now, here's, here's the thing. This is a passage that we go to for comfort in all kinds of situations. Notice it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We bank on that a lot. Life isn't full of just happy times. It's happy times, sad times. It's good times, hard times. But we bank on the fact that God is at work in all those things, working all of them together for our good. Now, why do we know that? Because as it goes on, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And so this starts with a process that is way back before the creation of the world with God's foreknowing and, and predestining. And it ends the process way into the, into the future when we're with God forever and when we experience that change. And how does He refer to that change as us being glorified? That hope that we look forward to is that we're going to experience that change and we're going to be now in this glorified state. No more sinful nature. No more corruptness. No more sickness. No more sorrow. All that's, We're going to be glorified. Uh, Benjamin Franklin put it this way. This is written on his tomb. You ever thought about writing your own tombstone, writing your own epitaph for your own tombstone to be used for after you're gone? Kind of your last message to the world. I remember reading one one time. It says, I told you I was sick. I thought that was kind of funny. But Benjamin Franklin's is a, Benjamin Franklin's is a little more serious than that. This is what he put on it. He says, the body of Franklin, printer, printer is what he did. He, he published books. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding lies here food for worms. But the work will not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. New revised edition by God Himself. That's the hope that we look forward to. Well, very lastly, in the last two verses, he deals with a resurrection application. Okay, what does this mean for our life now? Now, having that hope in the future, that's huge. Being able to bank on that um, and knowing that our bodies are going to be raised and we're going to be raised incorruptible and it's going to be an awesome experience. Now, if that being the case, that being the truth, what does that mean for today? Because the Apostle Paul has been talking about that. Well, first thing that we see in this, in this passage, is starting in verse 57, is we see that we experience victory. He says, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You realize that no matter what you're going through in, your, in this life, 
no matter if you're if you're battling cancer, no matter the apostles were able to face being put to death, being martyred, and they knew that they had the victory. Why do they have the victory? Because they have the resurrection from the dead and they have a whole eternal life ahead of them. And so there really isn't any way for you to lose when you're trusting in Christ. I remember one time reading when I was a... Actually, I don't remember if I was a new Christian or if it was before I became a Christian. I read through the book of Revelation and it scared me to death. And then later, uh, I remember listening to somebody talk about it and they described the first time they read the book and I was remembering the first time I read the book. I thought, man, I don't know what a lot of that stuff is, but it's scary. Well, this guy, he got to the end of the book the first time and he had a similar reaction. He says, I don't know what all that stuff is, but we win in the end. And I thought, that's great. <laughs> that was a great takeaway from the book of Revelation. We win in the end. That's true. Absolutely true. And that's the point. Through Christ, we have the victory. Death, right now it stings. Right now it hurts. Right now it looks like death wins. Death does not win. It's not the end of the story. We win through our resurrection from the dead. And so having that victory can give you a lot more confidence in life. Well, not only do we have the victory, but we also thanksgiving. No matter what we're going through, we should have a gratefulness to us because since we all have that victory, we are going to win in Christ through trusting in Him, then we ought to be thankful for that. Even death itself can't take us down. Not in any kind of a permanent way. And so we win through that resurrection. And so we have a great, uh, grateful spirit to God for that. And then finally, lastly, service. He says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. So he says, starts off with, he says, be steadfast, be planted, rooted in their faith, rooted in this hope of their resurrection, rooted in Christ, unmovable. Nobody can shake your faith, move you away from that. Then he goes from being unmovable to abounding. Now we're not only not going backwards, now we're going forward. And what are we abounding in? Abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, serving God with your life. Living your life for God. To be a benefit to others, to be reaching others with the Gospel. Serving God. You know, it's the resurrection that makes that worth it. Because notice what he says right in the last part. Knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because of the resurrection from the dead, everything that we do here has meaning. Remember earlier in the passage, the Apostle Paul was saying, look, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then that kind of sucks the meaning out of all of life. Right? In the the very beginning of this chapter, he reminded them of the Gospel, which is the death and the resurrection of Christ. He says, which you're trusting in, by which you're saved, unless you've believed in vain. Vain means empty. Empty. Hollow. But a little bit later into the chapter, he used this word vain a couple more times. In verse 14, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. In fact, remember he went on to say, he says, we even found to be liars because if God didn't raise Christ from the dead uh, and we go around preaching that He is risen from the dead, then we're liars. So he says, you know what? Our preaching is worthless. It's vain if Christ didn't rise from the dead. But then he says, not only is our preaching vain, he says, your faith is vain. Your faith is in vain because your faith is in the resurrected Christ. If He's not resurrected, then your faith is vain. And so it doesn't mean anything. In verse 17, He calls it futile. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. All this belief and everything doesn't do you any good if Christ isn't actually resurrected from the dead. And then we find Him kind of summarizing it in verse 32. In verse 32, He says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat 
and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, he's saying, look, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then who cares what you do with your life? Just go do whatever you want. doesn't really matter. But if there is a resurrection from the dead, everything matters. You see, everything you do, because there is a resurrection from the dead, because there is an eternal life, your life is short now, long later, because there is an eternal life, everything you do is meaningful. Every person that you can help is somebody that's not just a cosmic accident that's here for a moment and gone tomorrow, is somebody with an eternity ahead of them. Every action that you take, every word that you speak for God, in service to God, is something that has eternal value and eternal consequences, has eternal importance. And that is why he says, always abounding, abound in your work for the Lord. Why? Because you know it's not in vain. It's not empty. It's not without cause, without meaning. It is deeply meaningful. So invest your life knowing that it's going to have huge payoffs in the end.